Hello, this is Dan Paliutsa, and this is the podcast, There Only Waves. This podcast has been about my story from evangelical Christianity to where I am now. Today I have Morgan Lee with me, and I'm going to talk to her about her faith with evangelicalism. And I've known Morgan for about five years now. We met at a conference in Chicago called the Justice Conference. It was a social justice conference for evangelical Christians hosted by Willow Creek Church. So it's been kind of funny since then how our journeys have converged and diverged into different paths. And it'll be really cool just to share that with you, um, a little bit of our own story, but also just me diving in more and with Morgan right now. So uh, Morgan, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, everyone. As of recording this episode, I have lived in Chicago for about six years and three months, give or take, and I will be moving. By the time that you listen to this, I will have moved to Hawaii, and so that has something that is deeply shaped my 2020 is that I have been one foot out the door of a place that I have called home for a long time. Dan and I have had a number of really good conversations about faith over the years, but we've also had a number of good conversations about Chicago. We love the city. We've explored a lot of it together. He and I actually just had a really fun adventure where we went to this crazy bookstore in Lincoln Park recently, a really nice grocery store up on Devon Street, and Dan has been a very fun friend to just, let's see be a curious person in Chicago with. So I'm grateful that I got to be on this podcast (laughs) sitting in his room with him before we really diverge. Mm -hmm, For sure. So Morgan, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions today about just your walk with evangelicalism and kind of where you're at with it today. So I'm, I'm wondering more about, and I I know some of these things already, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious more about um, just how you grew up and how that led you to use the term evangelical for yourself? That's a great question. I actually could not tell you the first time I heard the word evangelical. And I would bet that the first time I heard it probably was in relationship to two different things. One, there were two churches in our area um, that were evangelical free churches. Mm. And I grew up doing this Bible memorization program that is called Awana. People who are in the evangelical world and have been part of it since they were kids are probably relatively familiar with it. It's actually based in Chicagoland here. And the church that we did Awana at when I was very little, like a toddler, was Newark EV Free. So Newark Evangelical Free Church. And then I ended up moving to a church that was kind of denominationally a sibling of it called Fremont Evangelical Free Church or Fremont EV Free. And I could not have told you a single thing that defined what it meant to be EV free until probably the past couple of years working hmm. at Christianity Today, which is where I am on staff and I've been on staff there for six years. So that's hmm. kind of where I heard that. And I don't know really what it meant to me. I definitely also heard it with regards to politics, Mm -hmm. which is something that I think if you are, if you identify as an evangelical, you are either completely fine with the political connotations that this 
has or you start to qualify your relationship with it and feel like, oh, well, you know, there's kind of like a but actually part that's in there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like where I first heard that word. I think the word that I might have used to describe myself based on how I would talk to my parents about things growing up was like, I'm a non-denominational Christian, which, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) What is that? I mean, this idea of we're somewhere, we, we adopt particular stances or convictions that are not Catholic and Mm -hmm. we don't have liturgy i don't know how familiar the people that listen to this podcast are with this idea of liturgy but there's many churches that you can go to that are christian churches where there's a whole playbook of ways that the service always unfolds and that for many christians that practice in it they find it very beautiful it's very um repetitive in many ways and it follows a church calendar none of that was part of the way that i grew up i grew up in a place that was like very valued a lot of like casualness in many ways Mm -hmm. especially being in the bay area where you know your pastor would come on with flip-flops increasingly or a short sleeve shirt i I mean i never grew up in a a place where your pastor is going to be like wearing coat and tie Mm -hmm. that was like not the the vibe Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i think i identified and didn't necessarily feel like i needed to like wrestle at all with the idea of evangelicalism until much later okay so at what point do you think you went from this definition of being quote-unquote (laughs) non-denominational to saying oh i think i'm actually part of this group called evangelical i don't even know to this day if i would care that much at all or feel like i had any like dog in the fight if i didn't have my job that i do right now where we talk and think and obsess over what this community stands for looks like you know, some people might see us as folks that police some of the boundaries of it. It's one of those things, right, where what is what is being an evangelical? Well, unlike something like Roman Catholicism that has a little bit more definitive boundaries of something being Catholic or not, evangelicalism in many ways is far more amorphous. People kind of like come in and out of it in various ways, specifically when it, you're thinking of it as like a religious movement. Um, again, politics are a different equation and they really, really complicate it. But the fact of the matter is that the publication that I work right now sees itself as being part of a religious movement, not a political movement. And so to the extent to which I would be comfortable referring to myself as such, it's been in a place where it's very much like, yeah, this is definitely something that you can claim without having to claim all the political baggage that mm-hmm. often follows it. So... I want to share at this point a little more of the background of why I wanted to interview you. Sure. Um, so I think it was a couple of years ago now, we were hanging out one night and I asked you this question, why are you still an evangelical? Mind you, this has been in the context of the last four years of Donald Trump being president, mm-hmm. where a lot of people that would self-identify as evangelical or others would identify as evangelical have really gone on to the bandwagon of Donald Trump. Sure. And for me, that was part of my undoing of how I saw my Christianity and how I've entered what I would call the post-evangelical camp. Um, so I think the question was pointed to you saying, Morgan, in lieu of all this political junk, 
that you have to answer to essentially being evangelical first of all in the conversation you identified yourself as an evangelical so some part of you obviously you say you work at christianity today mm-hmm. which i already know um so you're talking about it you're dealing with that in a professional world um but i guess personally how do you relate to it how do you see it and why would it even be important for you to use the term evangelical for yourself what I tell people a lot of times is that, to me, how I understand evangelical, it's about the language that we use to talk about God and our religious experiences. And that particular religious movements give us access to language and words to describe how we see ourselves as relating to God. So when I think of what makes me evangelical, I think of the fact that I use a lot of very personal language to describe God. So one of the things that I think most people who have heard evangelicals speak as they talk about a personal relationship with God. You know, I went to Catholic high school and there was a lot of overlap between the theology that I grew up with and the theology that was presented in my classes. Yet there was not necessarily a focus on cultivating the sense of any type of sense of like God is intimately and extremely interested in who you are. God loves you a lot. That's language that I heard all the time in youth group, in Awana, in a lot of spaces, you know, books that you read of this God that is invested in you, Dan, and in me, Morgan. And that's language that I still in many ways use. I don't necessarily, you know, put maybe as much weight on this idea of like, God is just intensely fascinated with you in a way to kind of like further, you know, American individualism or some of the other things Mm -hmm. that can kind of come along with it. Mm -hmm. But I've always seen myself as having a personal relationship with God and see God as someone who cared so much about relating to us and with us and loved us this much. And I realize there's other like salvific concepts that are important with this, but I understand Jesus in that same way too. And I see Jesus as, you know, kind of this like manifesting this like very personal sense and also the Holy Spirit, this idea that God is living on inside of us. And I don't know, I've been in, I've been a part of mainline congregations for the past eight years and I'm really thankful for them, but not all of them have had the same type of intimacy in the words that they use to kind of like give you access to who God is. And Mm -hmm. I've often said that, like, you know, if I really adapted the language that I was going to be using, you know, maybe it would be fair to say, like, I'm part of a different Christian tradition or religious tradition entirely. But to the extent to which I'm still talking about God, still presenting God, still talking to my friends about prayer, still encouraging my friends to pray because I really believe that God cares about them and that God is invested in them and God loves them. To me, that's, like, what being an evangelical really is. Mm-hmm. So... That's really cool. Um, I guess it's funny you took that answer much further than I thought you were going to take it, so I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I think the previous time we talked about this, you were maybe speaking in a more general way. One thing that you brought up last time that I appreciated and um, I think sort of applies to maybe the, the, the political question um, and actually the inclusivity question that I wanted to kind of follow up with was you talked about the disciples of Jesus being very, in terms of just ideology and where they were coming from, very diverse, mm-hmm. um, very different from each yeah. other and how that in a sense it's radical actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, would you actually be able to expand on that a little bit more? 
I edited a piece a couple years ago. It was one of my favorite pieces I ever edited. And in it, the author, her name is Judy Wu Dominic, did a really great job of capturing just how ideologically opposed and factitious, for lack of a better word, this group of 12 people that ended up hanging out with Jesus for three years Mm -hmm. really was. Mm -hmm. So you had people who literally were in bed with the state, someone like Matthew, who is a tax collector, who's kind of been, you know, bought out by the Romans. You had people that wanted to overthrow the Romans. You had folks that had views about how to handle poverty. You had people that were poor themselves. You had people that were uneducated and the Bible's not really shy about the fact that the disciples had conflict that brewed within them, right? It doesn't suggest that once everyone found Jesus, they somehow kind of became less of themselves right away. But more that Jesus kind of like um, encouraged and challenged them to figure out how to live amongst each other. Mm -hmm. And not all of them end up making it to Jesus's death and resurrection in particular, right? Judas notably dies by suicide after he betrays Jesus. But for the remaining ones, they end up really bonding with each other in pretty profound ways that are like very surprising, right? Given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's kind of like a plot twist that you see coming. And I think that that has been something that is completely like compelling to me about faith. I'm not sure if it has something to do with something like evangelicalism in particular, but I do know that it has something to say about like what being a Christ follower looks like, which is that it's not actually going to be like inherently comfortable to like sit in a place that's full of people who don't really get you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. very fair to say that a lot of the disciples did not get each other, nor mm-hmm. were they actually interested in getting each other. Mm-hmm. They were in fact interested in many times Jesus validating who they were so that they could feel <laughs> more comfortable in themselves, which is very similar to how we all feel most of the time. We like want God to validate parts of us mm-hmm. that <laughs> we're like, okay, so that that way that the other person can conform to how we feel about mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. But the article that when Judy was writing, and I just found it like a really beautiful picture of what Christianity is going to look like. And by beautiful, I mean hard and kind of miserable to put into practice in many ways, but also like a really cool challenge and movement and exist reality that Jesus ended up leading. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm wanting to ask you about this because this is my own struggle how do you sort of take evangelicalism? You've talked about it being personal, um, talking about God loving you as an individual without emphasizing individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also talking about something more broad, uh, maybe that can be within evangelicalism, but more just as a Christ follower in general of taking these really different people and putting them together mm-hmm. to follow Jesus and to bond um, and to... As, as I've talked about it or understood it in the past, spreading the gospel. Um, so I guess taking kind of all that in mind, how does that as an evangelical blend or make sense with maybe politics? It's an evangelicalism that seem to, I don't know, suggest hate of certain groups of people or mm-hmm. things that wouldn't really, didn't really mesh well with me and really mm-hmm. turn me off from, a lot of Christianity, if not most of Christianity. How do, how do you reconcile that with yourself? Well, I think this question is probably worth some follow-up questions For sure. to it. Yeah. Because I'm not going to get to everything that you're complaining. So of one course. thing is that I like <laughs> work for a publication that really emphasizes charitableness and beauty 
and um, good writing, you know, precision of language, um, carefulness in how we broach challenging subjects. And that's a lot easier of a place for someone like me to work at than at a place that comes out guns blazing all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not like I never feel angry about particular subjects, right? But I think that, like, there's only so much you can kind of, like, sustain with that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And it definitely, when there are conclusions that we publish that I don't necessarily agree with, I don't feel worked up in the same way. In general, though, we're trying to, like, lead not only through the conclusions that we arrive at, right, but also at the way that we're hoping to like model people thinking and engaging Mm -hmm. in the world. And I would say that in general, I don't think American evangelicals have a strong reputation when it comes to the posture with which they engage people who do not agree with them. So I'm not necessarily working at a place that promotes a version of this movement that would feel very like at odds with who I am as Mm -hmm. a person Mm -hmm. or that would really kind of like corrode and make me like really cynical about all of that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like important to just like note that I'm not being actively just like disgusted in the workplace that I'm working at with the people that I'm working with. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is different from saying like, I mean, clearly there's a lot of just like really demoralizing things about being in this type of space at large. And that just comes with being a journalist, right? When you are a journalist, you are exposed to a lot of terrible things on a very regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. You also don't often don't have the full context for what that happens. And you have this kind of like endless amounts of information that it's your job to kind of figure out, especially at CT, you know, we really want to contextualize information, which is also a really helpful thing too, because it also helps contextualize it for me as a journalist, right? But a lot of times it's just like, there can be like an onslaught of just terrible stories. I mean, I can name to you six or seven high profile Christian leaders who had serious sex scandals that happened this year. And some of them, it might feel like, oh, it's Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty. You know, huge Trumper, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not surprised, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's Carl Lentz. He was the pastor of this very high-profile church, Hillsong, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the church have hacked a lot of celebrities. The most famous one, of course, is Justin Bieber. Wow, I'm shocked that this guy that is very into himself in his fashion, I can't believe that, you know, he had a sex scandal. But also someone like Jean Vanier, who was this what we thought last year when he died, incredible Catholic, um, I don't know what to call him, practitioner who built these communities for people who suffered with people who had like mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And he, there's there's one right here, actually not outside of Chicago. They're called Larsh. They've been just like beautiful ways for people to feel known and loved. Mm-hmm. And one year after his death, we learned that he essentially was just like mistreating and like, sexually mistreating young women under mm-hmm. the guise of spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a lot of stuff to deal with. I'm not, I, we could talk about Robbie Zacharias. Robbie Zacharias is someone who is known for, quote unquote, defending the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of like apologetics, people who go up on the pulpit mm-hmm. around wide and tell you like, here's all the reasons you should believe Christianity is true, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a lot of people. Four high profile? Yeah, I didn't even know about some of those. That's, and I know <laughs> what you're talking about, which is the weird part. Yes. Yeah. And I don't want to be so inside baseball for people whose world this is not it. But I'm just saying that, like, it's really a shield in many ways to work at a ministry that, like, does care about character, that does care about how we talk to each other, 
that is not necessarily interested in being celebrities. Like, no one on my staff is famous, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. There's people who people know. Yeah. I'm one of those people that some people know, partially because I host a podcast for my job, but no one's famous. No, right. no one's there. No one comes to Christianity to become a celebrity, <laughs> you know? Sure. That's not something that's super possible. Yeah. So um, that has that effect of it, too. Our previous editor-in-chief was someone who I was really close to. He did he co-hosted my podcast mm-hmm. um, with me. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I really loved about working with him is that he was very aware of his own fallibility yeah. and spoke very bluntly about that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. it's not like I didn't see it because I worked with him all the time. Right, as right, I'm sure right. most coworkers are aware of that stuff. Yeah, But it is helpful to be in places where people are self-aware about mm-hmm. like what they're... If, if not, they're not self-aware always about what their blind spots are, that they know that they have them and they're yeah. open to being, you know, given correction about that type of stuff. So there's some things like that. The final thing that I'll say is I was just listening to a episode of the podcast Reply All earlier today and they did this election after, or sorry, they did this episode after the election where people called in with their reactions. Reply All is a podcast that is for really for everyone Mm -hmm. um but as you will listen to this podcast it's mostly a left audience um full of non-christians but someone called up and they were a youth pastor and he was just talking about like how challenging it had been for the past four years for him to be in this space with him and his senior pastor you know the senior pastors apparently preached this gospel about like how we not not we need to not share fake news we need to share the good news yeah yeah <laughs> and had gotten pushed back for that had gotten pushed back for basically calling trump out on putting children in cages at the border you mm-hmm. know people would push back and at the end the reply all guests were like do you ever think of like going to a different church you yeah. know like where yeah. you're not fighting with people yeah and the youth pastor was like no like mm. i want to like help these people like mm-hmm. i want to be able to influence them and change their minds and mm-hmm. not just do that but like i do believe that they really care about god they love jesus Mm. and i just want to help people love jesus like the correct way essentially Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i do think that that you know there's times where i can feel like exasperated by stuff but at the same time there is a sense of which i like do feel passionately about creating resources and ways to encourage people who are trying to think about their faith in really intentional ways yeah that was a really long answer (laughs) it was a long answer you did cover a lot of what I asked you. So I appreciate that. Um, one thing I do want to ask you is you talked a lot about what you do for CT. Uh, you also gave a lot of examples of people in the evangelical world, um, both looking at news, how people have had moral failures. You've talked about how difficult that is. You also mentioned, um, just people that have had to interact in church and how it's difficult. I want to hear more about you personally, um, just not just in your professional life, but also in your personal life, how you, how you just deal with being, maybe you talk about evangelical Christian. Okay. This is my job. This is what I do here in this space. Mm -hmm. But in your day-to-day life, how do you feel like this, this faith, maybe you aren't always thinking personally, I'm an evangelical, but if you had an outsider look at you, he'd be like, oh, you you talk about Jesus a certain way, you talk about God a certain way, we would call this evangelical. So I'm, I'm curious to hear just more about maybe just your, kind of your personal journey, even even kind of in like recent times, or kind of what that looks like for you in your own practice. So 
up until this year, I attended two churches in Chicago the entire time that I was almost the entire time that I was here. And the churches were very different and very similar in some fascinating ways. So the first church that I started going to, I attended maybe the first or second Sunday that I was in Chicago. It's called Root and Branch. And Root and Branch is a very progressive church that um, has just taken a very novel approach in many ways to how it convenes and meets with people. So I, I went to another mainline church when I lived in New York, and the model that they identified with was they said they were a dinner church. And so dinner was one of the components of a church service. So it was not the part that happened after. It was literally a part of the service. And I love that congregation for a lot of reasons, not the least of which it was just awesome to eat a meal with other people and to mm-hmm. get to know them in that context. And mm-hmm. I could go on and on about what I loved about St. Lydia's. But when I went to Chicago, I said, do you guys know anything that's like similar in Chicago? And so that's how I ended up going to Root and Branch right away. Mm-hmm. Root and Branch has always made it clear that it tries to be very open for everyone. I've definitely been, you know, probably the most theologically conservative person there most of the time that I've been there. Even if I may share some of the more like progressive political views that most of the church is really animated around but what I've always loved about it, what I've like felt it's like at its best, is it's people who, you know, may have come out of the evangelical space, may have come out of the mainline space, may just kind of be in the spiritually curious space, and we use Christianity to have good conversations and so forth. And there's not necessarily the same sense of there being a right answer. I would say that may change when it, we're talking about politics, because you know, almost every space is going to have something that like there is a right answer, mm-hmm. and you need to like know what you're talking about. And so politics, yes, but when we're talking about more like ph- philosophy, religion, some of that stuff, you know, it, the church was always. The type of church where someone could be like, well, I don't know, I like never read this part of the Bible, or I don't even read the Bible, or there were notably multiple people who came to church who were just like, I don't believe in God. And of course, at any church, there are people who don't believe in God, right? But it is always, one of my favorite things about Root and Branch is that you can just say, like, I don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And it's not a thing that you then feel like I need to step back, or there's something that I like need to like solve right away. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for the fact that you are part of this church congregation and you are participating in it right and and that is almost like the tension that you're holding with the fact that you may not believe in god mm-hmm. so yeah root and branch has been extremely formative i have only attended there twice a month almost the entire time that i've been there mm-hmm. because i actually went to another church on sunday morning mm-hmm. that church was called um legacy christian fellowship it was a I don't know what to say, a house church that actually started probably about 10 years before I got there and then became part of a larger network of house churches. Mm -hmm. And so Root and Branch in many ways was full of white, super, really super educated progressives. Mm -hmm. Legacy was, especially when I got there, was much more diverse. I live in a neighborhood called East Garfield Park. It's on the west side of Chicago, which is a pretty economically disinvested in part of the city and my house church the the reason why I ended up showing up there when I heard about it is because I realized when I looked at their East Garfield Park location it was a solid three minute walk from my house (laughs) and was full of people especially at the time who had chosen intentionally to live in East Garfield Park or had grown up in the neighborhood and were still a part of attending church there Mm -hmm. and 
you know, true to what its name suggests, we met in someone's living room mm-hmm. and sat on the couch and folding chairs and sometimes just our worship component was singing songs off of YouTube. I am mm-hmm. not kidding. <laughs> and towards the end of it, the church, we did a lot of meals and ate meals together and so forth. I used to like joke with people because church either alternated from the three minute walking away location or literally across the street, AKA I can like see the house from my living room. And I would be like, I would try to be late to church, but it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. Which was really true because church would start when people arrived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like, as like starting date. Mm-hmm. And I freaking love legacy. My house church, the house church model is challenging. And both of these models, you know, so root and branch, 40, 50 people, maybe at its max. It's mm-hmm. not ever really scaled in the same way that when you look at like evangelical church planting metrics, it has not hit a single one of those like metrics of how fast the church has to grow and how many that they need. Legacy was not interested in that same way. In fact, when some of their sites got too big, they ended up splitting so that they could mm-hmm. kind of keep that size small. Mm-hmm. Um, and like as it was far more theologically conservative, it was reformed. I don't necessarily identify as reformed, but still a really wonderful place. I would say one thing that was really important that those two congregations had in common that has been a major blind spot for evangelicals mm-hmm. was that they both had a very strong commitment to racial justice. Mm-hmm. Now, it has manifested very different ways. Again, Root and Branch, very white church. The pastor at that church is Korean American, but there are very few non-white people who go to that, which is not very true for Legacy, which was much more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But that was always a space where I did not have to argue or feel uncomfortable in the same way. I'm not saying that Legacy, by having people of color attend there, somehow like didn't have blind spots that manifested. Because that's like dumb to think that that wouldn't have happened. But it did mean that some of the exhausting things that just other people have had to struggle with, you know, to get Christians to care about this type of particular issue was not mm-hmm. something that I was having to face when I went to church. Yeah, right? Sure. That would have felt like very challenging for me to mm-hmm. like feel like that would be something that I would have to fight to get people to care about. Sure. But is you know, something that has led to a lot of fatigue for a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. Or is, you know, for a lot of Christians of color to feel like I constantly have to make the case for things. And to be honest, as much as I was telling you about, you know, the ways that I've appreciated CT, you know, this has been, this has been a blind spot for CT for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And an area which they have been slower about doing things to address it, um, specifically with regards to staffing and hiring and so forth. But yeah, these two churches, because of the fact that they were very non-traditional in mm-hmm. many ways, but both ways that people were very a bunch of part of their community, really, um, there was a lot of, what is the best way to say this, vibrant community life. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you couldn't just kind of hide at either of those churches, yeah. especially like being a single person, you know, doesn't have family it's really good to have spaces where you don't feel like you're just going to be like dispensable when you walk in. Right. Which is like a very common feeling that many people feel at larger churches. Like does my presence register? And the answer that many of those churches have put out is like join a small group. And it's not like inherently a terrible answer. It does make you feel like you're a part of something. But I would say that for me to have a congregation where that was actually felt was even more powerful. For sure. Um, Thank you for answering that question. I, I know that, for me, I can keep talking to you about this stuff. Sure. Um, I do want to keep this at a certain length, though. Um, I guess I will ask you, is there are there any final words that you want to share just about this topic? Because um, for me, I, I know that 
you're actually, I, I want to say you're my first evangelical guest I've had on the show. Sure. Um, which is kind of fun in a way because a lot of the things that you're bringing up, I know about, I've mm-hmm. thought about. Yeah. Um, well, what do you want to ask me about? Throw me some inside baseball question that you've been like thinking about or wanting to vent about. I don't care. Um, I guess one thing that maybe challenges me in some ways is that there are certain... We've talked a lot about politics today. We've talked a little bit about race. Um, I think one thing that really challenges me about evangelical Christianity... I would say Christianity maybe as a whole, but particularly evangelicalism, is just a sense that there's a lot of cookie-cutter answers often. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like, X plus Y equals Z. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a straightforward answer, there's a straightforward sense of this must be the case no matter what, Mm -hmm. because if this thing isn't true, none of this is true. Mm -hmm. And often it comes down to moral issues Mm -hmm. and questions, and I think you brought up a good example of a lot of Christian leaders having moral failures, talked about particularly in the areas of sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just curious, um, when you think about just integrity, and integrity not just in the sense of, like, oh, I, me as a leader in church, I need to have certain boxes checked to be here, but also just integrity in thought. Maybe not just saying, okay... I'm going to have, give some leeway here, but mm-hmm. in this area, I'm just going to be like, yeah, screw it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you just stop caring. So, like, in church, I'll give an example. Like, if you're a leader in church, your your sexuality stuff must be on point. Mm-hmm. If it's not, you're gone. Mm-hmm. But if you're prideful, it doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. You can be as prideful as you want. It's a sin Bible, but it doesn't... Mm-hmm. But that can, that's easily forgivable or often just not even seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess... I know you're not a church leader per se, but I guess my question to you is how do you deal with just some of the disparities that exist in terms of church structure, but also just like in your own personal life, do you feel like there are certain times where, and we don't have to go into certain things, but like just where you feel like, okay, in this area, I need to be on point, but in this other area, it's okay if I'm Mm wishy-washy, like how do you feel, I guess, as a person, how do you kind of come to peace with that? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as moral failures with leadership, I have honestly just been very privileged in some ways. I mean, the folks that we mentioned just now, it's demoralizing in the sense of I know who they are. Mm-hmm. In the case of Jean Vanier, did a really nice podcast about him last year and said a lot of great things about him. You know, but I never went to L'Arche, for instance, or participate in his community. Ravi Zacharias, there's a lot of, like, Ravi Zacharias stands out there. People who think that, or people who feel like Ravi is the reason that I'm a Christian, you know? Yeah, I mean, frankly, those types of things would be very hard for me. I know a number of people who've gone to different churches in Chicago who have felt let down by leaders, Mm -hmm. betrayed by them, Mm -hmm. you know? all the types of ways that you just feel cynical about people. And I think I've been very protected in many ways that a lot of the failures that I've had to process have been from outside my most intimate church communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happened with regards to legacy closing was that the church model, as I mentioned, it was a house church model and they used this form of bivocational leadership, which bivocational is a nice word. 
it's like, oh, I'm doing a job and I'm also pastoring. And it's very, it's very typical for how a lot of people lead and pastor. Mm -hmm. And it is hard. It's very hard. It often means that the person that's doing church ministry is not getting paid. Mm -hmm. They could be, but in our case, they were not getting paid. And we essentially, the head of the house church network who was leading it, really abruptly resigned last year and he was the person that was shouldering the bulk of the network staying mm-hmm. afloat and mm-hmm. when he resigned without warning <laughs> yeah without warning it set the chain of events that kind of led to other folks realizing like they could not carry it and our church from a community health standpoint was doing really well everyone really loved each other everyone loved being a part of the church but they couldn't figure out what the model of doing leadership was going to be that was going to look different from the one that had gotten them into that situation mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they actually linked this idea of almost like spiritual burnout with moral failure, which I yeah. thought was like a really interesting point to bring up. This idea that like if we're just running on fumes leading you, like how do you know that we're not going to screw up? You know, like mm-hmm. this is exactly where sin starts to like show up. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that sin can show up when people are also just you know, in more emotionally healthy places too. But I thought that was like a very astute and humble thing to just like acknowledge, you know, and to not just think, oh, our church is so important and so special that we just like need to continue existing. Mm -hmm. You know, we Mm -hmm. all love each other. This is all good. Even if it's on the backs of other people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I freaking miss legacy. Like this, there was, it it was one of those things where like all the people that were in the room are like never going to be all in the same room again. Like the people that it pulls together is so like, unique and different and unconventional in the way that they all have trust in this model like we're not going to come back and i don't know if you know if i'd been in leadership if i would have been like chosen or brave enough to like disband mm-hmm. it you know mm-hmm. and to basically say like no like god is still at work in the world there's other churches that are going to be great for you to go to and so mm-hmm. forth because i'm sad like i miss that, ch- that the church community a lot it like really encouraged me about so many different things that are out there but i really did appreciate this like it the sense that the top leaders had that like we cannot be exploiting ourselves <laughs> because you love this church you know it, yeah. eventually something's gonna topple right yeah, so for sure when you're talking about integrity i do feel like that the decision had a lot of integrity that was made yeah even though i kind of am upset that <laughs> it was ultimately the conclusion yeah for sure that's a cool i mean I've attended that church a few times myself with mm-hmm. you and um, and I know we've talked about kind of how that church ended and mm-hmm. I, I as you started explaining the example I'm like oh I know where you're going with this mm-hmm. um, but I I do I do appreciate I guess your feedback about that um, I know I've had my own church experiences where I feel like you know I, I thankfully haven't been in a church where there's been some giant sex scandal as you mentioned there's many in the Chicago area mm-hmm. where that's been the case or even <laughs> oh yeah I didn't even mention the ones in the Chicago area but yeah yeah um but you know I've, I've dealt with very prideful pastors and just you know things that wouldn't necessarily get people in trouble and I think that's why mm-hmm. I, I used that example um I, I appreciate you also went into detail about for you, what works is not necessarily going to a church where it's like, oh, you go join a small group. You've been at a church, churches, plural, where it's small enough where you can be with the whole congregation and you don't need the small group mm-hmm. because the community is already there mm-hmm. and it comes organically out of that place. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is something that's really special. I mean, as 
I mentioned at the top of the show, moving and so forth. Mm. I have questions about what type of church communities are going to be up and running, especially during COVID mm-hmm. when I moved to Honolulu. And yeah, I, I really question my own ability to go to a church that feels very traditional in structure. You know, mm-hmm. traditional in theology, I kind of expect, and I don't necessarily think that that is something that... Um, I don't feel a pressure to go to a church that that somehow implies that I like agree with everything that's happening from mm. a theological standpoint. That mm-hmm. doesn't like. I don't net mind a, a bit of dissonance there, yeah. but as far as like the actual kind of like performance of the church, you know, like I can get so critical <laughs> very easily about mm-hmm. the songs we're singing, the songs we're not singing, mm-hmm. an over focus on a particular aesthetic, mm-hmm. and. Ultimately, like, I just don't want to get lost there. And I don't want the answer to get lost being like, you have to be involved in 17 different programs to not get lost. Yeah. You know? I'm going to ask you one last question. Yeah, sure. And then I want to wrap up. Um, Why is church important to you? Church is important in so many ways. And it's interesting that you ask me that when I just did Zoom church for the first time (laughs) in a couple of months, frankly, slash any church this past Sunday Mm -hmm. and honestly like I don't get excited about zoom church at all (laughs) this was with root and branch they are doing Sunday morning stuff yeah yeah I'm not very excited about the prospect of it I did it for probably the first four or five Sundays back under the stay-at-home order legacy ended right literally like the week before the shutdown happened (laughs) crazily enough yeah yeah it's super bonkers how that ended up happening Mm -hmm. but root and branch has kind of continued on in various iterations and so forth and during the summer they had in small in-person meetings at the park and i went to those those the the ultimately those kind of like felt more like small groups than they did like a church production whereas like this zoom stuff had music and communion and Mm -hmm. the things that make you feel like you're at church and yeah it felt way more like something that I needed than I like thought I was going to feel that way Mm. again given that it's on zoom and given that it can be a really poor sport when it comes to doing stuff that's on zoom sure I think church is really important because I don't think that I really, I'm saying this as someone, again, who works at a Christian publication, but I don't look to my pr- employment, st- you know, my employer as something that's going to, like, validate existential truths to me or, like, validate the part of me that's trying to connect with all these, like, existential truths. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. don't show up at work. We do pray at my office and so forth, and I don't, I appreciate that that happens and so forth, but I don't come asking for, like, my soul to be rejuvenated in a place in a way that I'm like more vulnerable when I go into church, mm-hmm. you know, sure. this week we're recording this, the second week of Advent and Tim, our pastor preached this sermon that was similar to some of the stuff that we published in CT over the years about just the darkness that comes with Advent and mm-hmm. about, yeah, how there's a lot of pain and darkness in this particular season right now, you know, so the American Christian, Christmas idea often is one, right, that we're not necessarily preaching, like, a leaning into kind of, like, 
the death of the season, the despair of the season, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's all wrapped up under like Christmas season, which is something that right. I, I love. I love going outside and seeing lights and um, seeing Christmas trees and so forth. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think that like it felt really important to like have these things that are happening in the world be talked about at a much deeper level than just kind of like the death toll for COVID that's happening right now, you know, or reading a newspaper report. Like I don't, at the end of the day, I don't need to read more news. And I think what it maybe exposed to me in a weird way was like, yeah, about how some of these things that are like the, the realities that were getting talked about were like very incomplete realities in the way I was absorbing them. Cause I was absorbing them as kind of just like facts about how this world and what I think was so important about coming to church was that I was being able to see all these like traumas and scars of this year, but through a much more bigger context, through the context of God, mm-hmm. right? Through the context of truth, through yeah. the context of things that are not as temporal, right? Yeah. Since news is like very temporal. It sure. feels that way a lot of times. So I always think that that is one of the biggest things about it is that we can be in so many parts of our lives that everything feels like all the stakes that are there are very ones that are just like tied to the lives that we live to the earth that we're on and church at its best right is a reminder that like there's like so much more mm-hmm. right for sure and not in this like preachy there's like so much more it's almost just like through the practice of being at church you are you are living that out like i do not believe that everything that exists in the world is just what i'm reading in the newspaper what i'm seeing in my every life day life i believe that i am part of something much bigger, right? Yeah. And that is a huge reason why I love being a Christian, right? It's because it, and going back to the whole like personal relationship stuff, like it's it's that I think even Joe Holmes on Biss has this like amazing juxtaposition, right? Of like the grandeur of the stakes of the universe and mm-hmm. also the very like personal way that you fit in to those things. Mm-hmm. And I think church can really hit those two at the same time. For sure. It's funny how you ended on a note and I could say, the last two minutes, I actually can agree with you. About yeah? Those things I actually value still. Say so, more, say more. Um, just the idea of God personally being able to relate to you. Um, we've talked about that a lot today, but mm-hmm. I connect with that as a person. But I also connect with the idea of all truth isn't contained. And, you know, in this case, you use your own kind of job, the mm-hmm. news. I mean, you could also be a scientist yeah. or a number of other professions mm-hmm. in which you're observing truth mm-hmm. you're participating in truth in a way actually mm-hmm. but you're saying here's this other aspect that is spiritual that is higher like a higher ground almost mm-hmm. you could say that i'm connecting with mm-hmm. um and church is as you're describing a gathering place a reminder for for that for that i guess you could call it greater truth but not in a way that's preachy but in almost a way that feels grounding mm-hmm. um and i'm like i still connect with that mm-hmm. element of church um mm-hmm. that's something that's I can personalize in my own life, and part of the reason I enjoy doing this podcast is giving space to other people, but also feeling like I have a space for myself um, in this little corner of the universe. So, yeah, I really appreciate that and appreciate you sharing that. And that's the note I want to end on today. Um, Thanks for being a great listener. Yeah, I enjoyed how much you talked. <laughs> that was, honestly, I, I, I learned some things about you I didn't know and also other things about the world I didn't know so oh well I attribute that to you being actively engaged in this conversation and being curious yeah for sure thanks for having me on yeah thank you Morgan um and we'll come back with our only waves I don't know what we're doing next but uh stay tuned and I hope that you're having a great day okay